0: Brad Wheeler, you've got to love the guy. I, uh, I get the email a couple, a couple weeks ago about, uh, hey, you, you know, here's your verse I've chosen for you f- from Galatians. And I was like, that's fantastic, Galatians. That would be great. And it, it has been great. But I went and read it, and I thought, what in the world is that? Uh, maybe I haven't read Galatians enough, but uh, I'm going to read the verse that we're going to focus on tonight. And then, uh, well, well let, me, let me back up a second. So what I did after reading it, I thought, well, I'll dive into that tomorrow. The next morning, I was on the road early. I thought, well, maybe I'll listen to somebody's sermon from Galatians 4.27. Found John MacArthur did a two, uh, two sermons, part one and part two. Not very many people had sermons on that section, but he did. The first thing he said is, hey, we're going through Galatians. We find ourselves at the end of Galatians 4." Nobody would willingly preach from these verses. He challenged the congregation and said, I bet no one has ever heard these verses preached, ever. And then a second later, he said, no one would voluntarily teach on these verses. And I was like, okay, it's encouraging. Thanks, Brad. No, it's been, a, uh, it, it's, I'm, it's been, it's been great, really. What, uh, I mean it. So what I want to do is this. It's impossible to understand this verse, in my opinion, unless you understand the context of the verse. The context of the verse is uh, impossible to understand in 12 to 14 minutes, as we've been instructed. So what, so what I've done is uh, I've got a few slides that we're going, to, uh, we're going to lean on here in just a second. I want to give you some background first. We're uh, in the book of Galatians, writ- written by Paul to the church at Galatia, a Group of people, believers, followers of Christ, people who've put their faith in Christ, loved Jesus, loved His Word, and they—they've been approached by and they've been kind of infiltrated by a group of very intentional teachers, teachers that had come uh, proclaiming the fact that Gentile believers could not be saved unless they kept. Parts of the law, ceremonies and symbols and other parts of the Mosaic law. That faith alone was not enough that they must keep the law in addition. These people were called Judaizers. Um, Oftentimes, at least in middle school and junior high, we call these people who take God's word and twist it slightly or add to it just a little bit. What do we call those people? Liars. That's not what we say. Anybody. Anybody. Pharisees are those guys. What? They're hypocrites. They're false teachers. They're false teachers. Paul explains in Galatians how faith in Jesus Christ, the one who fulfilled all of the Old Testament, the one who fulfills all the promises of God, is all they need. And we come to Galatians 4, where he begins to tell an allegory. Another thing you might have to look up an allegory, a story with a hidden meaning. So he's going to tell us a story with a meaning that's hidden, but he, it's not fully hidden, not really. Our, uh, our verse tonight is in the middle of this allegory, in the middle of this illustration that Paul is using to help us understand um, better the point that he's trying to get across. So for tonight's Devo... I'm going to uh, try to help us understand these verses by using four slides, comparing two women in 24 distinct attributes, then pose one primary question, all in the next 10 minutes. So, our story is going to start with, where, here, all right, still didn't work, there you go, there, Abraham Brad talked about Abraham this morning. Abraham, a man who believed in God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham, the one who God made uh, some numerous promises to, he, he made a covenant with, a man that he promised that he would bless, and that all of the nations of the earth would be blessed through him. We're familiar with this man, right? The, uh, he, his offspring, he said would be more numerous than the stars of the sky, more numerous than the dust on the earth. That's those are large numbers. So there we have Abraham and his offspring. His wife, however, named Sarah was barren. She could not have children. Brad mentioned this morning that was an embarrassment at the time. She was not proud of that fact. And in her distress, knowing that God had made a promise to them that that you know, to Abraham that he would bless him and that all the nations would be blessed through him, he made a, uh, uh, Sarah came up with a plan, and Abraham obviously agreed to the plan, and they decided um, on their own that Hagar, the servant of Sarah, would have a child by Abraham, and she did. Uh, Abraham, Hagar was the slave. Sarah was the free woman. Hagar has Ishmael, and then God says, no, no, your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son. In my time, it will be my plan, not your plan. And his name shall be Isaac, and my covenant will continue through him. So, Sarah uh, has a child. His name is Isaac. The, uh, and what we see as we, as we look at this story in Scripture is that her plan comes through the flesh. A plan that was designed by them in their timing to do what they thought was right at the time as a result of the flesh, man's desire. Sarah, uh, she had Isaac, all a result of God's plan. She couldn't even get pregnant on her own like she wanted to. But when it was God's time, he did it. It was powered by the flesh from the will of the flesh versus Sarah who bore Isaac through the promise. She, he promised it would happen, and it happened. It was from God by God. Hagar, powered by the weak flesh. The flesh is weak. It has no power. The Spirit, powerful. This is for Alec Bingaman. The, uh, p- p- sp- powered by the Spirit. When God wants to do something, he does it. And, and you can't stop it whenever uh, his plans will be fulfilled. He, when it, so they didn't wait on the Spirit but the plan of the Spirit uh, came nonetheless. We move on, and we we see in the illustration, much like what Brad talked about this morning, uh, Hagar is compared to present Jerusalem, a place that's desolate, a place describing unbelievers, those who are far from the Lord, not focused on God or what He desires for them. He compares Sarah to Jerusalem above, the true Jerusalem, those who believers, followers of him, by faith in Christ alone. He he describes Hagar as, uh, he uses Hagar to describe those who are trapped in sin, who are enslaved to their flesh. He describes Sarah as those who are free, believing by faith in Jesus Christ. He goes on to say that Hagar Hagar represents those trapped by the law, Those who are teaching, those Judaizers who are are trying to convince the the Gentile believers that they they need more than Jesus alone. Those trapped under the law to his commandments, ceremonies, and are self-reliant. He describes Sarah as the one who is freed by faith in Christ alone, justified by faith alone. He says that Hagar represents those who are cursed, for all who rely on the works of the law are cursed, under a curse. And those are represent the earthly city, which you've heard Brad talk about in recent weeks as he's gone through Isaiah, unbelievers, those who are focused on themselves and have not themselves turned to God and are, and, and are focused on He and His plans. He describes Sarah as the blessed one the, and to represent those who are redeemed, through grace, by faith alone, in Christ alone. So if the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. So he's using these two people to try to explain something that all of you have heard about. And that is the fact that in Christ we have freedom from our sins. And he's using Sarah to represent that freedom. And Hagar represents the trap of sin. The trap of evil adding anything to uh, faith, anything to us needing faith to, uh, to be right before God. Christ has already paid the price and he is all that we need. So these two women representing two, uh, that bear two very different children, one child experiencing lifelong bondage, the slave child, one uh, this slave child is powered by the flesh, focused on their selfish desires, bearing a debt too great for them to pay alone, destined for destruction and hell, represented by Hagar. And all of those children are slave children. They're unbelievers. And then the other child, the free child, the one who's, who's experiencing lifelong freedom, powered by the Spirit, Christ-focused, destined for pleasures forevermore. And we see attributes that we learn about all throughout the Bible, where where God is calling one of them self-focused, the other other other-focused. One's bound to sin, the other's redeemed. Attributes that describe the slave child, the unbeliever, and the free child. One is cursed. One is blessed. One separated from God forever. One, because of the price that Jesus has paid, will be with him forever in eternity. So in this, uh, this illustration that Paul is using, I think he's trying to get across one point to us. So I give you all the background that most of us hopefully are familiar with to help us understand that there are two paths, two people who represent two and bear two very different children, a slave child and a free child. And the entire point, I believe, of this allegory, the entire point that Paul is trying to get across, I think is summed up in one statement. He's asking, who's your mama? Who is your mama? Are you a child to the slave woman? A child to the slave woman, powered by the flesh, focused on yourself, bearing a debt you cannot bear and a penalty for it you cannot pay. If so, he says the same thing Jesus has called us to do, repent And believe by faith alone and nothing else. In Christ alone and no one else. Are you a child of the slave woman? Repent and believe. Are you a child of the free woman? A free child? Here's what he says to you. For it is written in Galatians 4.27. Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Church, God has delivered us from the bondage of slavery and sin. He has saved us. Our debt has been paid. We are children of the promise. The promise from the promise-keeping God who keeps all of his promises. We serve our creator, the one who made us, the one who loves us, the one who paid the price for our debts, the one that we, the price that we could not pay on our own. So I think what he is saying is, we are children of the promise. Let's live as free children of God and let's use our freedom not as an opportunity for the flesh, But to love Christ by serving others. And as we do, let's share the freedom that we have. This freedom that we have as free children of the promise. Let's share this freedom with the world. So what's he saying in this verse? I think he's saying, rejoice, break forth, and cry aloud. What are we rejoicing for? We're rejoicing that he has set us free. He has set us free from sin. He has set us free from slavery, from the law, from our self-focus, and from the penalty that all of that bears. He has saved us, and he is saving people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation, every day. And as we live as children of the promise, let us battle against sin And let's remember and praise him, the one who has set us free. And let's remember that those who he has set free are free indeed. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together.